I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Have you ever met someone and thought their job sounded cool? Or perhaps you're wondering how you can get to a position that doesn't seem to match any of the qualifications you have at the moment. Well, if so, this podcast is for you. We found some people with jobs that you might not necessarily know about or expect people to have, and we're going to ask them about how they got there. Welcome to What Do They Do? A podcast about jobs and how people got them. Today we're joined by Brent Lewis and uh, rather than getting it all wrong and giving him the wrong intro I'm going to pass over to Brent to do a little introduction to himself. Welcome Brent. Yes, thanks for having me. It's, uh, yeah, my name's Brent Lewis, I'm the CEO of the Farscape Foundation and I'm a director of Skateboard GB which is the official governing body of skateboarding within the UK. Yeah, I, I have to admit it was... Um... I follow skateboarding a lot. I have no proficiency whatsoever on a board, but it's it's an area I've got a lot of interest in. So um, I was really excited to kind of connect with you um, and get this opportunity to sort of find out a bit more. Um, if we start with the Fast Skate uh, Academy, um, I think it'd be really interesting to sort of understand a little bit about the work you do with young people through that. Yeah, so we, we've been going since 2009 and uh, we work with, we're a small charity. We work with thousands of, of young people throughout the year. Obviously, post uh, pre-COVID, um, it was a little bit easier. So we work with them on an educational level, plus a sporting and uh, skateboarding commercial level too. We also introduce mental health programs and holistic programs to our to our charity as well. So we support young people from a variety of backgrounds with innovative education and re-engagement as well so we they come to us as a uh, a school or college or adult ed center and they get to choose their learning and throughout the time with us um, they will gain qualifications and uh, experience in real life we they we do a lot of mental health work with them so we prep them as as people as well to prepare them for 21st century learning and there's a lot of the kids will come to us with um, anxiety and uh, a lack of education because the standard school system's not set sort of suited their needs so we work with them on uh, a bigger scale so we look at the whole student and find out what's happened you know what's gone wrong we help them with their home life their their, their physical physical and mental well-being and some of the students will come with us with EHCP, so educational healthcare plans too. So they may have learning or learning needs that will need to be addressed that have been missed within school. So we get their plans and we re-engage them into a better place within themselves and and find a positive pathway for the rest of their life. When you say Fastgate Academy, it sounds like it could be that it's just skating, just skateboarding that you focus on, but... What's interesting is that skateboarding isn't actually essential to the participation of students on your courses. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So a lot of the young people come to us um, because they're just creative individuals. Because what skateboarding is, is a, is a purely a creative outlet. So 
regardless of skateboarding, you don't have to get up on a Sunday morning and put on a uniform and go and play with a team. You know, it's, it could be done any time and any way that they like to express themselves. So they'll come to us with um, not necessarily skateboarding skills or a level of skateboarding, but the interest of creativity and all those aspects of skateboarding. So the aspects are the clothing range, there's a subculture to it. So the clothing range, the, the filming and the editing and the making of skateboards, designing of skateboards. So it's it's a whole, the whole aspect of skateboarding. So maybe 70% of our young people are skateboarders. The rest are just here for the love of something so creative. For anyone not um, overly familiar with skateboarding, there's there's some those aspects that Brent talks about. That I mean, obviously you've you've skated your life, so you you've kind of are very in tune with those aspects. But for anyone new to it, um, there's probably a few good documentaries I'd point people towards if they haven't re- if they just think skateboarding is a few sort of pesky teenagers um, in a sort of municipal area. Um, there's some really good ones. Like uh, I think if you start with Dogtown and the Z Boys is probably the uh, the first port of call to really understand where skateboarding came from and that creativity. Um, I could go down into this street for a bit too long, so we'll we'll put a few links in the in the description to some kind of skateboarding essentials. And Brent, be good to get your kind of uh, steer on that as well. But yeah, that all those aspects are something that I think you obviously see in skateboarding. But I would imagine that sometimes you have to work a little bit to explain why it fits together so well with the young people. Yeah, it was, it's using skateboarding as the inspiration for education because what you'll find with skateboarders themselves is that they would spend the entire day throwing themselves down a ter- stair set constantly and regardless of pain, they were going to land that trick. So they may go back there two or three days later and just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And what we try to do is then use that motivation and that energy into other things. You can use that skill for you throughout your whole life. And what we try to do is say to them, okay, let's try something new. Like that energy you put into that, let's do something else and let's learn another way of doing stuff. So the skateboards naturally have resilience to keep going. And that's what makes them such amazing creative individuals. And I want to come back to the Farscape Foundation and what you're doing now. But for a second, I want to take a step back. Let's go back to French childhood. Is this what you thought you'd be doing when you were a teenager, when you were at school? Did you think that you'd be running a charity like this? Oh, no, 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 definitely not. No, it was, uh, yeah, school wasn't really my my thing um i didn't do too well at school not that i wasn't bright i just didn't fit in the the mold of schooling so i spent most of my childhood just skateboarding or if i wasn't skateboarding i was probably thinking about skateboarding um and most of the time i was getting in trouble at school for bringing my skateboard in or doodling skateboarding images on my matchbook or you know, uh, getting kicked out of many car parks after school. So most of my childhood wasn't wasn't great in education. Um, and I never thought I would be lucky enough to have a job where it doesn't feel like work. It purely is something that I love doing and feel passionate for. And to get paid for something like that is great. Um, and yeah, I never thought I'd be doing this at all. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky. So what what did happen when you came to the end of secondary school? Did you go on to college? Did you study at university? No, I I left school with uh, any qualifications actually at all. It just it just wasn't it just wasn't me. It just yeah, it just I just didn't fit the mold and. So I knew that I'm going to have to work. I'm going to have to get money somehow. But I'm, the energy I had for getting up at seven o'clock in the morning, spending 14 hours a day skateboarding, I knew that I'm quite a creative and um, practical person. So I thought, well, what can I, 
what can I do to be able to use those skills um, rather than educational skills? So I just went straight into working in a, on a building site, laboring for people. Um, I, I did some tarmacking on the M25. I was uh, just finding my way through really, um, getting cash in and still skating as much as I could, but just still in that no man's land of not exactly sure about what I want to do. And you know, I think it takes years and years to actually find out what you want to do. You spend most of your life at work. I mean, you might as well make that, make that part of your life happy as best as you can. So I, I was just working, doing some um, labouring. I got into a trade. Um, I, I picked up the plastering trade and I quickly knew then that I could earn some money out of this and I was good at this. I was working hard. I was a grafter and I, I started my own building company quite soon after leaving school and and had guys and lot guys working for me and running contracts all over London and Kent. It's really interesting what you said about, you know, you work most of your life and it can take years to figure out what you want to do. Yet the reality is we tend to put pressure on kids and teenagers to think about what it is that they are going to do when they leave school. Like they have to choose now when they're 15 um, or 16, they, they should be making a decision. I, I definitely felt that pressure when I was younger. I don't think it's got any better now. If anything, it's got worse. Um, but I do hope that we live in a world where there is a bit more flexibility for people to kind of do their own thing and, and figure out their path a bit more. That's what I think. Yeah, we all try to to do at the far skate colleges is that we'll give the, the students the, the ability to think for themselves. And, and it's okay not to be academic because that only suits a small amount of people. It's okay to be individual. It's okay to be creative. And that's what we try to try to get across. Yeah, I think that aspect you talk about with grafting and, and figure out what you want to do. I, I mean, I was I was a maths teacher. Um, Dean also worked in a secondary school. And we'll get on to your own teaching experience in due course. So we've all had a bit of experience in the education system. And um there are definitely times when it, it's, uh, it's got a, a narrow view on the things that, that kids do. And for those kids that don't fit that, it can be a difficult time. I remember like my, um, my maths class when, you know, often certain groups I had were very down on their ability generally. And you had to, and I'd, I'd reference sometimes maybe the rugby field or the football field or different aspects or music where they, they were the top set, if you like and I suppose that's part of what it sounds like you're doing with the skateboarding. That when they come in, maybe a little bit downtrodden about what they can do, realizing that spending 14 hours mastering a trick is an achievement and is something to be proud of, and kind of sort of highlight those skills that they've got. Um, moving on from that, there. So um, obviously, we're still nowhere near skateboarding and charities and education and working with young people yet. Um, so you've got the the building company and you're working in that. Are you still skateboarding a little bit at this point? And like, where does the the next part yeah. of the story kind of fit in? Yeah, I was still trying a little bit of skateboarding. Obviously, it wasn't as because uh, working full time takes it out of you. But um, growing up, I suppose in some ways. Um, but yeah, so I during my time running the companies and the building companies, I used to get a lot of kids from the dropouts from school or, or the young kids that have got a little slightly lost coming onto site or or meeting me saying look you know have I got any work if you've got anything I can do and it reminded me of me at that time just trying to get by um, so I used to take these the young kids on give them labouring positions and try and teach them some trades so some of them didn't work out I'd find the next day my tool stolen <laughs> But uh, you have to give them that chance and that trust, you know. And I used to, I, I kind of had, because I had life experience like them, I felt a compassion and understanding of where they were coming from. So I thought to myself, how about if I try and do this more of a 
a training exercise. So I would get young people in and teach them. And I thought, well, how can I? I'm enjoying this. I'm, I'm enjoying mentoring and seeing these young people come from not knowing what they want to do and actually getting a career and getting some and getting sort of trade behind them. So I thought, well, I'm going to do this in a school. So I had no qualifications. So I, I went to a school and said, oh, you've got an opening for a construction teacher. And they said, I can do this. They said, well, have you got, have you got a degree? I said, no, but I'm, I'm teaching now. Have you seen this little kid down the road? Now he's was, had no education. Now he's running his own company. I've, I've done that. And so, no, we're not having it. So I was like, oh. So I, I come away and carried on working for a bit again. And I thought, well, it must be something I can do. And every avenue, I went down even to a college and I had to have this qualification. I had to have basic maths and English. And so I thought, well, rather than fighting this, I'm going to do it and then go back to them. So I, I spent many, many hours, many evenings um, doing evening courses at the local university to get my qualifications and many years um, and eventually got my uh, teaching degree and qualifications that I needed to be able to approach a school and say, look, this is what I can do. And then from there, I, I was still working um, as, a, as, a, as a tradesman. Uh, and then I went into a school and said, look, this is, uh, I've got these qualifications, uh, you know, let me teach. I said, well, how much experience you've got? I said, I've got a lot, so I can get a job. So I had to then start as a mentor in a school. So I was working with the kids that were real rogues, um, the ones that no one wanted to work with. Uh, and then from that position there, I, I grew my career into uh, working with a variety of young people, being a head of departments, um, being an assistant head teacher, and then working as a director of education in a private school, because what I wanted to see was how different schools and different establishments teach these young people. And I went through teaching in primary, secondary colleges and universities. And no matter what school I was at or what place of learning I was working in, there was just so many kids just still just dropping through the net and just these, these kids were just not being helped in the way they should be helping. That's why I went into teaching, I think, to help these kids. And now when I go back to work as a mentor for teachers, I see these new teachers, they bounce in in September with energy of a little baby lamb. They come in and they think, right, I'm going to change the world for these kids. And then you see time the new year comes, they've got this sad face, they've got paperwork everywhere, they're disappointed because it's not like what it is at all is purely an exam factory that that just doesn't suit the the mind of the young people of today's young generation so after after many years of working in education i think i got to a point where i could have left and just given up and gone back on the tools and worked for myself and had no stress whatsoever but I owed it to all these young people that were being let down by education and schools and not necessarily let down by the teachers because the teachers are controlled by what they've got to teach and the curriculum. Um, so I had a really, I had a really good job um, working as a director of education in a private school, lots of money, fantastic. And I could have stayed there for the rest of my days and lived happily and, and, and retired as on the teacher's pension. But I walked in on a Monday morning and thought, I just I just can't do this anymore. I just, I had everything, but I just couldn't see all these kids just being let down. So I gave my notice in that day, gave everything up. And I had a, because my skateboarding passion was still there. I had a, a skateboarding making kit because we used to make my own boards and just do a bit of hobby and stuff like that. And so I gave everything up. I sold everything I had. I had my truck that I used for building work and I had my skateboard making kit. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I wasn't really quite sure, to be honest. Um, but that's probably the skateboarder in me, just playing it by ear um, and hoping for the best. And uh, so... I made a bed in the back of my van in my truck and I thought well, I'm going to spend about a year and a half traveling around every skate park, every youth center, everywhere that all these young people that I've 
have been let down by education, I can go and speak to them and find out what actually works and what what is it that they miss and how have we let them down. So I spent like like a hobo living in my car because I had, I had no funding to be able to travel in luxury. And every day I would meet these young people and, and run some small events as, as for the council and just do little bits around. And every day I would make notes like a diary over a year and a half, just this this young person said this, this worked, this didn't, he said he didn't like this about school, this worked. So I've created, by the time of the, the time I finished, I created like an ethos of what what really works within education and young people and why have we let them down so badly? And this this big book of notes, I spent another sort of eight or nine months getting down and refining and finding out what, what how it could become a reality. And from that moment on in 2009, when that last moment happened, the, the FAR Academy was, was born. What an amazing story, firstly. And it, it feels like you've gone through, done all this different stuff. And I think there's a lot of detail we could touch on even within what you've just said. You know, it's really a potted history. But it feels like there's a theme through it all, which for you is sacrifice. Like you really have given up things that you could have had to do things uh, to help better other people and to help kids that are basically in a similar position you found yourself in when you were younger. And I'm just wondering, like, at the point where you decided to become a teacher and you were running your own construction business, like, I'm just thinking about the salary and the money involved in, like, what... What what was it that really drove that decision to go from like effectively being a, a director of business into being like a low level teacher, like starting as a mentor and working your way up through the education system? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't easy at all to be honest. It's because obviously as a director and, and having 40, 50 young uh, builders working for me. Um, the money was good, and and but I knew that, like I mentioned before, you spend all your life at work, and I wanted to make sure that my life at work was memorable and and something I would enjoy. So luckily, I suppose in in some ways, I had the skills to earn more money because the teachers' wages at low level teachers as a mentor and just a basic classroom teacher is pretty poor. Um, so I would spend evenings and weekends private work, so building work. So I would be around people's houses and building extensions and other things. So that would supplement my work. So I was working throughout the whole time and through the time of summer holidays and half terms. I would be in between marking work and doing my own work. So that I had always that to, to balance it. Otherwise, I don't think it, it would have been too tough. Do you ever do you ever take any time off for yourself? You, I'm I'm getting the impression you're just not the type of person that does a holiday in a traditional sense. Uh, I, yeah, my last holiday was 17 years ago, I think. Yeah, so um, <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a while. I haven't I haven't had a day off for the last four years. So uh, and I work seven days a week simply simply because now at this point in my life where I've got all the responsibilities, young people, it's quite foot on. And I want to get into more about kind of you left, you went around and doing, uh, we're doing workshops, working with local council councils, you made all these notes that turned into effectively what you do now. But thinking back to when you were younger, what, was there someone like you in your life that kind of helped you with a turning point? Or was it really what you found inside of you? You mentioned earlier about the passion for skateboarding and thinking you could translate that into something else? I think it was skateboarding. I think this is my main thing. This is as, as a young lost soul, I suppose, as a young adult. Um, I think skateboarding was my, my mental health, positive mental health. It was my place of safety and happiness, regardless of where I was with my skateboard, you would just walk into a place, into a skate park or, or on a street, and you see another skater, and that acceptance happens, and you create a, a band of brothers, and, and it's it's an amazing feeling, and it's just something that's so 
incredibly accepted that as skaters you just know that you're you're going to fit in and the culture and the subculture is incredible it's absolutely amazing an amazing thing so my my turning point was my what saved me in my life one constantly in my life has been skateboarding that's one thing that's always been there and now i i suppose throughout my life wanted to give something back to skateboarding and that's what i've managed to do it's clear the determination because you go back to um obviously after school you, you were you know you went and found yourself a trade and worked hard at that then that point when you gave up the, the building tried to go into teaching. Essentially, you went to try and they said no. And you went and tried again and they said no. And you went and tried again and they said no. But none of, like for most people, I, I would imagine that would be like, oh, okay, I'd better stop and try something else. But that didn't seem to enter your mind. Um, do you generally find that if you figure it's possible, then it, no one's going to put you off the idea? Same with, I suppose, with living in your car for a year and a half yeah i think that's the again that's the skateboarder in me because you you see a stair set or a rail or a ramp and you think you've got to do it and there's been many times where i've seen a stair set and i've gone through it and i've broke my arm and i've just run i've just took myself on my skateboard to the hospital got a car so i went straight back 10 minutes later and tried that stair set again it's <laughs> that it's that mentality of going actually if it's not working this way, let's work out another way and get it done. So if, if I was landing a, a trick, you know, if it's constantly working, not working, then maybe it's just that tiny little change of, of foot movement or some tiny little shift and then it works. So it's that it's that skateboarder in me that just doesn't give up. So in terms of um, the FAR uh, Skate Foundation and the Academy, um when did your so you're out and about kind of essentially use you did a lot of user research you went and sort of spent time in skate parks and brought that all together was was it something that you suddenly clicked and you went this is the direction I need to go in when it all came together or or did it just kind of little bits start to come together as you were working with the, the kids on the skate park and as your ideas came together I mean it sounds like there should be a book at the very least yeah maybe you never know <laughs> but i think i think it was just going to the skate park to be the skater i suppose it was just seeing how engaged they are um and then because it's, it's skateboarding has uh different elements to it so you would go to a skate park and then see the young people just creating on walls or in the bowl and then but they're actually really good at artwork they're just not being able to use that use the, the their talents in the right way so and then when I used to go and run some basic deck building workshops, you know, it's the first time that these young people would sit in a room with an, an adult basically and teach them from one point to making a skateboard because there's quite a lot involved in making skateboards. There's maths and science and all sorts of subjects you can embed into this. And at the end of it, they would get their own skateboard to take away, and that's probably their first ever ever chance of actually the first ever time they've learned they've enjoyed learning and completed something so i thought there's definitely something in this um and so i based it on uh the construction of skateboards initially what i thought was i'm just going to set something up they can come in a youth club environment and just make a skateboard re-engage them make sure they're okay and then send them off but once i introduced that demand for the service it didn't have a name at the time it was just i was just doing projects it was um the demand for the service was huge so the service so so what happened i had a first the first ever student come to me that fully made a skateboard from scratch with layers of veneer right up to the to the finished product and uh i said to him maybe i was probably a little bit risky at the time i said to him that you've made the first skateboard i'm going to create this company now this thing that we're going to do and you can name it now he could have said anything i was a little bit worried um and i said i promise this is going to be and uh, luckily <laughs> it came out that um the his two favorite bands were the foo fighters and rage against the machine so he combined those two two uh words and he called it foo a rage 
through a rage. And I said, right, okay, well, I said that you're going to do this. So I, I went to the, the company's house and registered that name for him. And he was really happy with everything. And uh, over the time, with at that particular time with Nigel Farage and people getting confused with the name and all this sort of stuff, it was eventually, luckily, so the acronym came about as FAR, so F-A-R. And uh, now everyone just is known as, as the FAR. But um, yeah, it was... Uh, it was. It's all. It's all been very much an organic process. So if there was again, it's all trial and error. You see what works and what doesn't work. And what's the timeline of that? Like, because telling the story always sounds like a really easy linear story that just happened. But how how long was that from you maybe like leaving education to doing those workshops to then incorporating the company and the charity? It was probably about seven years, six or seven years, that sort of time of of working it properly, you know, of, of making it happen um, officially. Because initially, when I introduced, I used to go to youth clubs and go to schools and say, look, I'm going to teach your skid, your, all your students and your kids through skateboarding. I'm like, no way, that'd be stupid. <laughs> so there was a hell of a lot of like, no, don't, we don't want skateboarders near us. They're going to cause riots. They're going to smoke drugs and fight and retreat to the school we can't have them here so there was so much stigma it was ridiculous so when it still happens today um so it was a lot of fight with education systems and and getting our courses um registered as certified accredited courses as well so it was yeah it, it was a massive a massive journey of ups and downs there was times where I would, you know, there was a whole years where I was living on, you know, eight pound a week because that's all I was getting. Time I was paying for people's materials and my fuel, you know, um, it was nothing. I had to sell, even a few years ago, I had to sell my van to be able to pay for recent students that are joining. So, yeah, it's been tough, but but luckily over the years we've been recognised now as at a really positive place and educational place for young people. I mean, I don't want you to put an exact figure, but roughly how many young people have been through um, the programmes that you've run? Uh, exact figures, well, yeah. So, well, uh, figures for education is about 3,500. So 3,500 young people have gained education through us and careers through us as well. Um, and then there's tens of thousands of people throughout the UK that we've run courses for, events for, um, just done lectures and um, assembled school assemblies. Loads of people we've inspired through our program and skateboarding. So it's it's been it's massive. I mean, we've got hundreds of young people on our waiting list at the moment. And how does that work now? You, are you working with particular councils? Are you focused on one area? Do you have people around the country that will run kind of on the road workshops? So, uh, yeah, pre-COVID, um, we had lots of uh, events going on throughout the UK. So we would go to Wales and run educational events for them and, and skateboard design programs. We run some in London. We run them all over the UK, plus how our fully, like our headquarters, basically in Kent, that, that runs the programs as well. Um, we have constantly have schools and, and councils and youth clubs and parents always on the phone every week saying, you know, can I come? Can my kid come to this? Can So we're the only ones in the UK and Europe that actually do this on a professional level. So, um, or even I mentioned the Ben that, that uh, a few weeks ago, we had a call from New York from a mum to say that, um, please, can you take my kids? And I, I said, well, I'm not the child catcher. I've got a massive nest. I can just go and grab them. But, you know, the, the, the thing is that the, the demand is there. And, you know, eventually, you know, there may be a maybe time where we can actually house young people uh, as, a, as a staying in for, like, for a whole year, staying with us for a whole year. But, yeah, so the demand is out there. And we just try to meet that demand as much as possible. Luckily, a lot of the young people that, gain their education through us will then become a lot of them I've employed um, as staff members and art teachers or skate mentors or skate instructors and those those young people then can take on other other 
sort of training opportunities for other young And that leads nicely on to my next question, actually, which is we've heard about your amazing journey. It's phenomenal, the dedication and passion that you have for this that's led you to where you are now. And you are now creating this kind of circle of life, if you like, where you bring young people through the academy and then you employ them at the end of it as well because they've done so well and can then inspire the next generation themselves. So what what is your day-to-day job like now? Like how big is your team? What does it involve for you as the leader of a charity like this? Um, We have, uh, yeah, my day-to-day job is quite, yeah, it's quite varied, which I I like it to be that. I'm not stuck behind a desk all day. I still get out and uh, get to skate with the kids most days. Um, We've got a mini ramp in the classroom, so we're quite lucky. So if we get bored about doing some maths, we're just going to have a skate. You know, um, it's quite it's quite good like that. Um, so skateboarding, I always I've managed to work, made sure my career still manages to to get some skateboarding in. Um, and we have being a charity, we've got a massive or well, a large team of uh, volunteers and helpers, um, psychotherapists, um, in-house psychologists, uh, mental health workers, and youth mentors as well that help the young people because they come. A lot of our young people come to us with uh, major anxiety issues, perhaps self-harming, um, and just um, really coming from quite hard backgrounds. Um, so they take a lot of our time up, and so we make sure that all the support that we can offer is in place for them. Um, so it's running the team, running the school, running all the engagement stuff. So I pretty much do everything and we had recently we had department of education come out and say you know this is one of the best things we've seen in in 20 years of observations um this is amazing but the only negative uh thing that the report actually actually said is that i'm too tired (laughs) (laughs) so uh so they said you know what happens if you know what happens if i'm not here what so luckily um, we've got a new head of trustees who's next head teacher that's put in everything in place in case of, you know, something happens, it can still run. So, um, yeah, it's it, every single day is variety, which I love as well. So um, and I still try to get myself on skate trips and put my hand up first. I'll, I'll go. I'll be the driver. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and what? You've been in education, you've worked across state and private, across uh, primary, secondary, higher education. What do you think that mainstream education should be taking from what you're doing? I think probably the ability to understand young people's generation, I think. 12 years of education of normal schooling was developed in World War One in Germany, and that mind control and that that education of of learning to pass an exam hasn't changed for so many years and what i we try to do is try to teach the whole young person so the soft skills as well so the soft skills of flexibility of thinking being a creative individual managing the ups and downs of lives and just preparing them for for life and giving them the confidence to to live a life of lifelong learning because that's what school seems to do is you know you you learn this subject you pass that exam tick well done you're gone and then straight after that exam most young people then forget what they've learned anyway um so it's what we do and what luckily we have the freedom to do being a an independent independent specialist provision is that we can still create our own um, education program so even you know most schools will have a set line of desks we don't we have you know like I said I've got a mini ramp in the classroom and the benches is set like like picnic benches the classrooms um, because a lot of the time the young people will be spending weekends sitting around benches with their friends in parks so we create that environment in it here so it's very much um, a natural learning environment so if they feel stressed at one point then they can get out, go and have a skate, or they can go and talk to our psych. Or it's it's way it's the way they learn, 
and doing maths classes, we may have a skate video running, you know, and it's not intended to distract them, but it's tended to mentally relax them and and lower that anxiety as well. Um, so schools are in a difficult position because they've got progress aid, you know, marks to, to meet and and the education system is just so out of date that they've got to just they've just got to keep going with it schools unfortunately but what they i suppose what they can take from us is the ability to it's okay not to be good at memorizing memorizing every single fact it's okay to you know sit and just draw out on your books or just it's okay not to have to worry about being um, not being part of a certain club at school. It's okay to be yourself and be individuals. And we create that freedom at the Fire Academy. Um, it's it's difficult for schools. Schools are in a difficult position due to you know, lack of funding and everything else they have to deal with every single day. But you know, we we get a lot of schools coming to us, and I do a lot of schools talks as well. And and I get offered to come and talk to head teachers and other people to try to give them the inspiration that, that what is behind the fire camp. I'm really interested in, I mean, we've talked about the skateboarding bit. More generally, I think there are subcultures that have started out of maybe a group of misfits who didn't quite fit in, went off and uh, one example is climbers who went off to Yosemite because they thought, well, I'll, I'll live it, I'll live underneath a cliff and I'll climb every day. They had no, they didn't do it because they were going to make any money or because it had any prospect. They just did it because they loved it. In, incidentally, that's led to companies like Patagonia, was set up by one of the people that started that. I mean, skateboarding similar as well. I mean, it's it's had its ups and downs where it just disappeared off the face of the earth and then it came back again. But obviously it's turned into a, a really successful industry for lots and lots of people. Um, and actually what you won't be able to appreciate on the audio is there's a, a signed deck by, by Tony Hawk sitting behind Brent and a, a few other skateboarders as well. So there are people that made living out of it. They never intended to, but actually um, by pursuing their passion, it turns out that there were ways of, of making that into a living. So with the education part, I'm really interested in what's the subculture happening right now, the one we're shunning and pushing into the corner that's going to be the next big thing and, and how do we discover them? Um, one way is to get in, a, get in your car for a year and a half and go and travel to where the kids are. Um, but for those people with less determination than Brent, I'm really interested, like how do we embrace those skill sets that those young people have that they're applying nowhere near the classroom setting the home learning stuff at the moment because there's obviously everyone's screaming that these kids are not in school at the moment due to covid but what we find from our point of view is probably one of the most positive things for so many young people not to be in school at this precise moment simply because it, they've lowered their anxiety they're not they're not some of the young people not getting bullied by teachers or or other members so they've got their own they've got their own way of learning. And we've got the new, new young people that have just started with us who are coming to us constantly from home, from the homeschool side of stuff saying, how do I do this? How do I do that? Because they've been through the educational system. And then the ones that have been there for a while, they're just creatively thinking, this is what we can do. This is how I can do it. It feels to me like some schools and some teachers maybe feel like when students are learning from home that that the te as a teacher they lack some control that perhaps they have in the classroom and I, I wonder I think I feel like that's what you're touching on with students discovering for themselves how to like best go and film what they want to film or take pictures or learn more about skating. Yeah I think like in homeschooling I mean, a lot of luckily the UK does allow homeschooling anyway, but a place like Germany where it's banned, it doesn't have it at all. Because if you were to learn a subject at home yourself, you would learn that in a completely different way than you would learn in an educational setting. You would learn it through discovery, through critical thinking.
thinking, for understanding, and maybe practically applying that knowledge. Um, and what I'm finding with the young people that they're using this time to manage themselves, they're creating routines, they and they're starting, some of the kids, why, why, I mean, why does school have to be nine till three? You know, our school starts sometimes at 10 o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon and goes on later. You know, all these sort of things that the young people managing to use their own time and skills to benefit themselves. And it gives them time to reflect on their education. Because what, what I find frustrating is that you get to you get young people to learn how to I know, work out circumference of a circle, but now they can do that on their phone within seconds. You know, I, I recently went to a school to observe a teacher, and the, the the young person was getting taught how to work out the room in a construction lesson, and he said he put his hand up and said, "Sir, that I've got the app on my phone." I can I can do this within about three seconds. Why have I got to spend the whole term learning how to do this? And the teacher was like, "Well, well, it's in the curriculum, so it's, it's got to be done. You know, this is this is what it is." And and he said, "Well, I I I've already can do this. I don't need you know. This is what you've got to learn, and you know, this is the way we can we can um, see you know measure measure your learning by writing this exam down. So it's young people now attending to fight a little bit about it because you know most of the information that school will teach can be found on google um so why not embrace that and and that's what i'm finding with the young people at home they're just actually you know i haven't got to spend eight hours in a classroom with our six hours working on this subject i can school this i can understand it i can research it and i can gauge my own information on it and then it's tangible it's there for them um, things are changing. It's just unfortunately education is not. There's a there's a school that um, is in the Netherlands called Agora. Um, I mentioned it briefly to you, I think, on our previous call, um, where very much similar approach. They haven't focused it around one particular area, but each student has the freedom to choose what they're going to work on, um, and the 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 kind of the guy that kind of leads the school has spoken at a number of events, and obviously the inevitable question from educationalists is like, well, surely that's chaos. How can that possibly work? And that kind of thing. Um, and he explains why it does. And I think you've also explained that, you know, you're not putting in, in those kind of false tasks that make no sense for anyone. They're doing it because, well, that's what you, you know, to get to the, the next stage of my project, to, to build the board or to make the video of, of a series of tricks. And well, these are the things I've got to learn along the way. But one of the really interesting things about that school is um, that people will kind of say, well, you know, why can't you expand this? The same question we're asking you, why can't it be bigger? And uh, Rob Huben, who leads the school, his response to that is often, I can't retrain teachers fast enough. I, you know, I, for anyone to come and work here as a coach, not a teacher, they're coaches, they need to have, they essentially need to unlearn everything they've ever been told about teaching and and relearn what learning is about. And I wonder whether that's one of the things that, like, how, if you took it your life experience, how could you boil that down and put that into a teacher's experience? Yeah, that's, that's something we struggle with constantly. We've had, we have teachers wanting to join us. And a lot of what we find is that um, they come here and maybe do some observations, have a look around, and they were like, they just, they just can't understand the way these kids are learning because they've been through the teacher training. And it says, you know, we open up the book and it says, this is what the students will do. You will, you will write this lesson plan and this lesson will go according to your lesson plan. And it's not like that at all. Um, we're we're in a point of for the we're in the building where we are now but this year we are expanding to a a building that's five times bigger to be able to take the intake in september and i'm going to have vacancies um for mass english tutors and uh, photography tutors art design tutors and filming uh, tutors as well so 
it's really difficult one for me now because my one of my my problems is is finding the the teachers that are have the ability to be able to be extremely flexible and creative they are out there they haven't been squashed by the the tedious education system yet um they are out there um it's just finding them and we we do have to retrain them i say it's and what we often find is that some people come to us so you see your slightly alternative school so are you a pru a, a, a pupil referral unit so never we've never been that because i don't think they work at all anyway um so we we've never been that and it's difficult to, to bottle what we do so it is difficult to get the right staff this is why i think we work quite well because a lot of our staff as i've mentioned before are ex-students so they they've been through the mill and understand skateboarding and understand the process of the way skateboarders think so we are lucky enough to have now over the years staff who are trained and students here at the same time but i am in a dilemma this year to be able to get the right staff in i've had staff previously that have, have said they will do lots of good stuff and they, and they get in i just can't can't manage the the flexibility of learning and the practical learning and the embedded learning that we do so it's yeah it's it's difficult but maybe like you mentioned maybe there's maybe i can create a a manual of how things should be um but it's more learning on the job in regards to behavior within schools what often we find is that we get so many schools and and other places say, oh please take this kid he's a nightmare he's done this and he's sworn his front chairs and they come here and they're just completely different i think certainly in the last seven years i don't think we've had one behavioral issue and these are the kids that are being thrown out of school for behavioral issues so just because the front of the shop this is this is the front of the school so they walk into a skate shop and they're like what why why are we here so this is your school this is the reception to the school so and i said well while you're here if you come and make a debt you can sell your skate within this shop and um you've got a bit of cash in your pocket like what really so they want to initially put the energy into it and i said well to do that you're going to need to learn maths you're going to need to learn some english to be able to apply that to the stuff that you're learning to be able to set up your own skateboard business so it's all about applied learning and understanding the young people so we're lucky enough to have enough staff to support all their needs because they are very vulnerable a lot of our kids so um yeah it's it's i have a mass recruiting thing going on at the moment so you guys uh are you free or <laughs> i reckon we know some people so we should definitely share i also worry about being after 13 years in in mainstream education will i be that example you just talked about of people who they thought they could do it and they come in they crash and burn <laughs> <laughs> yeah. L- literally and metaphorically right like yeah. literally on the ramp Metaphorically literally. In the <laughs> yeah the interview process is you have to drop in on the ramp so uh yeah it hurts <laughs> bye bye hip <laughs> <laughs> i mean oh I, i'm gonna i'm gonna do this live i i am gonna be buying a skateboard from you um, on the conclusion of this so um we'll get that bit sorted out already but i mean i'm i'm obviously a bit interested in all of it in terms of um as a as someone in a punk band who hung around on a skate park kind of looking on longingly at people who managed to get beyond the point of shinning themselves on a bench um it's it's always been a little bit of an interest moving slightly away from the kind of deeper educational bit for those people that walk past a, a group of teenagers with their skateboard whether it's in a skate park or whether it's on some benches or some steps i think there's a there's a misconception about what those kids might be like actually i told you a story about my my six-year-old son was on his scooter at a skate park and there were loads of kids hairing around on their skateboard and one of them who on you know if you weren't if you didn't speak to him you would have thought he was a bit dangerous you wouldn't go near him he demanded that everybody stop so that my son could could drop into the skate park and go around on his scooter and he was very protective of him for the whole time 
So what would you say to those people who are slightly worried when they walk past a group of skateboarders? Yes, we, I get this constantly. Even last week I was in a meeting with the council because uh, there's skateboarders. There's no park in Canterbury uh, at the moment, in Canterbury and Kent at the moment. Um, so we put in a petition to be able to get a skate park. But in the meantime, we've got a lot of skateboarders that fortunately have mostly come from here, are skating around um, the steps at the local theatre because it's actually really nice to skate in. You know, I don't blame them. Um, and indoor, indoor uh, empty car parks as well. So we, we've had lots, because us being the Fast Skate Foundation, we get lots of councils saying, oh, can you sort these bloody skateboarders out? And it's like, well, let's let's deal with this properly. So um, they, one of the councils have said, oh, can we just make Canterbury like, the, there's going to be no skateboarding signs in the entire place. Um, we've got a cathedral here. We don't want skateboarders. Um, and uh, so, and then the re local residents have said, um, oh, we don't want skateboarders here because, you know, the noise and the drugs and the swearing. But skateboarders are probably the most relaxed, chilled out, nice people you could ever meet. Um, they they just want to come have a skate and, and, and that's it. So what we, what we find is that luckily now skateboarding that it was meant to be this year but next year becomes olympic sports so it's got a, a little bit more of an edge to it now so these people that these uh are skating around getting in trouble by the police and still getting thrown out of place could potentially be our gb athletes you know um it's it's uh quite a, a fine point it's only a small amount of skateboards that are interested in the sport of skateboarding because skateboarding itself is just an individual creative thing um, but if you have a look at our GB skate team, they don't look like the American skate team. I mean, I know them all quite well, and uh, they're just just grassroots skateboarders that just skate for the fun of it. And uh, so, skateboarding has a little bit more, a little bit more kudos, I suppose, to it now. It's an Olympic sport, um, so you know, I would just leave skateboarders alone. What, what was your answer and what did you say in the meeting when you heard the comments from the residents and you were meeting with the council? What was your response to all of that? Well, I couldn't say what I wanted to say. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we've created a uh, residence sort of a skateboard meeting group now to be able to deal with some of the issues. I've asked the skateboarders at this particular place where they're skateboarding just to go indoors or go and find somewhere else at the moment. Um, I don't want to stop. I don't I don't want to say I oh, don't skate around here at all because, you know, it's so good for mental health and physical well-being, especially during lockdown. The last thing you want to do is, like, no, stay at home um, because skateboarding can be allowed on the streets still. Um, so, yeah, and it's a mode of transport for a lot of the young people as well. They have to get from A to B. They can't afford buses, so they use their skateboards. Um, so I've said to them, you know, We've created this working group. We're going to work with them. We've got a petition up um, for the council. We've got 3,000 signatures already um, to be able to create an indoor skate park. But uh, at the moment, it's kind of just finding a balancing act between the skaters. And I can bribe most skaters around here and say, look, just leave that for a minute. I'll give you a free board at the end of the month or something, you know. And uh, they're all right with that. So. And just imagine, imagine if the council just embraced it and just made those places friendlier to skate. Exactly. One of our trustees, Ian Borden, who has that, I've got his book here. Uh, it's called Skateboarding in the City. If you guys get a chance to have a look at it. It's about most most countries, apart from the UK, when they're creating places or, or re redeveloping cities or towns, the first thing they do is, how the how can they embed the architecture and embrace skateboarding within that within that environment um, rather than pushing skateboarders out? So and what what the UK the UK seems to do is put skate parks in the middle of nowhere where stuff can happen to these young people. So if you if you put a skate park in the middle of a field full of kids, I mean that's a perfect place for where drug dealers can go and and deal with kids because it's like a, it's basically making it for them. So what we try to do at the moment is 
embed skateboarding into society. I think that's the way to get around it. Because skateboarding isn't going to go away. It's going to be with us. So it's about embracing it and putting it within our society. So making the benches skatable, making stair sets skatable, rather than putting skate stoppers up everywhere. Let's embrace it and work together with them because it's, it's an incredible thing. It's not to be pushed away. It makes me, I live in London and it always, when we talk about skating in that sense, I think of South Bank. Um, and I, I never, I've never known whether it's a skate park that was purposely built there or it just kind of became that, uh, that sits on South Bank just by, I think it's by the National Theatre or by the South Bank Centre. Um, and it, it feels like worlds collide there a little bit because there's always an amazing atmosphere of people skating around there. Whilst there's also people just like sat next door in a restaurant having a meal or going to the theatre right by there. And it would be cool to see that in more places, I think. Yeah, South Bank is an example of how things can work fluidly and, and embracing skateboarding. It's an amazing place. It has been, it was years ago, it was just an organic place and undercroft where people could come and skate. In the last few years, um, it's been extended as well. So there's, there's, it's made a, a bigger space for them. And it's an iconic part of London because these people come from all over to go and see the South Bank and see the skaters at the South Bank. So it becomes a tourist attraction too. So that's what I think that you know, the councils don't realise, that putting a skate park or embracing skateboarding can really put a town or a place on the map. Um, you know, if we, if we were to get a, a skate park or something in, in Canterbury, um, there'll be, you know, it could be a training ground for future athletes, you know, so it's, it's a really big thing. You mentioned the athletes there um, and your involvement in Skateboard GB. So obviously the Olympics got moved. Um, how, like, were you, were you due to go to Tokyo and you, are you going to Tokyo next summer? And uh, I'd love to sort of hear a little bit about like what that, as opposed to the, maybe the freeform skateboarding you grew up with, what this kind of, um involvement in the olympics looks like yeah so they asked me to be uh, a director for skateboard gb i think mainly because the other directors are in are from sports backgrounds so um the what they i think they got me on board is to become a voice for the skaters in a lot of the ways so for the grassroots skaters because it's quite difficult to create a skateboard GB and have an, uh, an Olympic team and then remove it somehow from the culture of skateboarding. And I think that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to embrace it into skateboarding. So part of the skateboard GB, um, um, I suppose, uh, mission is to obviously help the skateboard GB team promote that, but also work with councils work with local projects and really get skateboarding on on a mass scale to the uk because we're really lagging behind everywhere else in the world um so part of the mission is to really embrace skateboarding as a whole um regards to tokyo i mean I, i'm not going to get a chance probably to get out there because i've got too much stuff here to do unfortunately <laughs> Um, but you know, the Olympic team and those guys are amazing. Um, and they're doing a great job, uh, and they're going to come down. I've met them lots of times. They've met our students as well. So they're, they're an amazing team, but it's only a small aspect of skateboarding. So it's a, a tiny facet of what skateboarding actually is. There are the ones that constantly push themselves to become professional or, or you know, on a, on a team of some sort. Um, but 90% of the skateboarding is just, just grab a board and go and do what. I'm really excited to see what skateboarding coming to the Olympics does for skateboarding in general. And, uh, cause I can imagine those skate parks that already exist becoming very full all of a sudden, um, as the you know, sport skyrockets and gets even more in the limelight. Brent, it has been amazing talking to you. It's so inspiring to just to hear about the passion that you have and the dedication that you have to everything you've done like through your whole life so far. Um, I can't wait to see what you continue to do. I have one last really simple question, which is, do you think you'll ever quit? <laughs> quit? No, that's not going to happen. Never going to quit. I'm just going to keep going. I think there's a, there was a, um, a saying by one of the 
the skaters from back in the day that says you don't quit skating and then you get old you get old because you quit skating so um okay. yeah i don't think i'm ever gonna i'm gonna get uh ever gonna quit i'm just gonna keep going regardless of, of you know getting old i'm gonna just keep going and you guys gotta do the same just gonna keep skating i think it's testament to the work you've put in the the risks you've taken as well and the determination when a lot of other people would have said oh everything's telling me that I should do something else and uh, you don't seem to have that gene. Um, so, real privilege to chat to you. We've taken up a load of your time. So, I, I mean, I would say let you get back to like home and have a rest, but based on our conversation, I don't think you do that. But um, let you focus on the next thing. Now from eight till nine. So, uh... One last quick thing is, I know, obviously, uh, Fastgate Foundation is a charity, which means you're at least partly reliant on donations from the public as well. How can people donate if they listen to this and they want to go and, and give some money to support what you're doing? We've got, um, through our website, we've got links to the local giving, um, also Amazon as well. So you can donate anything you buy through Amazon can be donated or potentially that could be donated to us as well. Uh, local fundraising pages and anything you want to do um, uh, for fundraising, say, you know, um, marathons or, you know, just making cakes today, anything you can do just to help get these kids through because everything we do is it goes directly to the kids and supports their education. Cool. And we'll put links in the description as well. Thanks so much again, Brent. Really, really appreciate your time. It was great to chat with you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 